Florida Gators have a lackluster performance against the Charlotte 49ers. Tonight, we recap it all. We take a look at the good, the bad, and where we go from here for the rest of the season. This is the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. And welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. I am your host, Chris Yanes, alongside my two co-hosts tonight, Neil Shulman and Dustin Smith. Uh, fellas, it was good seeing you yesterday at the game where we had a chance to all meet up together at the Florida Victorious tailgate. Uh, it was good to, to kind of catch up and, and uh, just enjoy the atmosphere because it was a beautiful night in Gainesville. Unfortunately, the football we saw was not as beautiful as we had hoped, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to see where everything goes from here. I mean, the game ultimately kind of started out fine. I mean, we had a a good start, right? I mean, Scooby Williams on the first play of the game was able to get into the backfield, almost forced a, a fumble recovery on a bad option pitch by Jalen Jones. The Gators almost took over there, uh, but they did get the three and out. They then proceeded to go 95 yards on the first drive, capping it off with an Arliss Boardingham touchdown pass from Graham Mertz. And then from there, you thought, okay, fine, we're going to cruise tonight. 95-yard opening drive. The Gators are, are humming along. And then we get another stop on defense, get the ball back, drive down the field, and then we're stopped on fourth and one. And traditionally, guys, this is where Billy Napier has been pretty gung-ho about going for it. I mean, he's gone for it on fourth and long plenty of times, decided to go uh, kick the field goal on fourth and one with his new kicker, Trey Smack. And, you know, I think at the time uh, it was okay. People were okay with it because they were like, okay, listen, we need to give our kickering game a little bit of practice. So fine. One time. but then. It happened again. We kicked another field goal and it was 13 nothing. And then Graham Mertz was sacked on third down, forcing us to kick a 54-yard field goal, which good news, guys. I think we found our kicker after the game the other last night. Uh, but bad news, the offense just stalled out. And Florida went into the half only up 19 to 7. They only ended up winning this game, of course, 22 to 7. They were able to shut out Charlotte in the second half. But it just did not look good. It did not look good whatsoever. So, guys, what are your thoughts kind of going into or coming out of this game and where we go from here for the rest of the season? I mean, it's it's not really the kind of performance that we were looking for. Florida, as a 28-point favorite, you expect them to come reasonably close to covering that spread. Obviously, the new clock rules in football are going to diminish the amount of possessions you have per game. So I was I think we all had Florida scoring in the 30s. I had 34 seven. I think you guys had 38 six or 38 seven. So we expected Florida to win by about 30 points. Definitely did not expect it to be a situation where Florida scores one touchdown in 60 minutes. Definitely would not have expected the game to be inspiring some nerves in the second half. I mean, Florida. Uh, you know, Graham Mertz getting strip sacked. Charlotte's got the ball in Florida territory down 16, 7. You think, okay, well, now even if they just get a field goal, we're up by one score in the second half, and that shouldn't happen. Of course, the defense was great. Um, definitely liked some of the things I saw on offense. Definitely did not like a lot more things we saw on offense. Love the fact that we found our kicker, but I'm, as I'm sure we'll discuss in a bit more detail soon, not what we were looking for out of the Gators. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the Gators really 
in some ways they laid an egg. I thought they had a great first quarter and I was very happy with how we were throwing the ball. I mean, we're, we're definitely going to talk about that Pearsall catch. I mean, that was outstanding. And I, I, on top of that, I thought we, uh, we used the tight end. Well, it was great seeing that touchdown with Arliss Boardingham. You had him have a sort of a misdirection play because he went in for a, a block is what it looked like. And then he, he was, um, he was sprung loose and came across in the drag. It was a perfectly designed play for a touchdown. But after that play, after that drive, we really didn't see much creativity from the Gators. And that was what was disappointing to me. And ultimately, I, I come to this with two perspectives, very similar perspectives, but two similar perspectives. Perspective one is perspective as an analyst. As an analyst, what do I want to see? I want to see efficiency. I want to see productivity. I want to see the Gators put together a product on the field that is sustainable, a product on the field that will not only work against a subpar opponent, and that's what Charlotte, don't get it twisted. Charlotte is certainly better than McNeese, but they are a subpar opponent, right? You, you want to be sustainable so that when you're playing Kentucky, when you're playing South Carolina, LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, FSU, these teams, you want to be able to put together a product on the field that would be sustainable so you can defeat those teams as well. Unfortunately, based on the, the, the film that we saw, based on what we saw in the game, I, I'm not sure that that product is sustainable. The other side is the fan side, and we'll, we'll get to that later. But the fan side is you, you want to see excitement. You know, you show up at a game against Charlotte, you expect to see the Gators score 50 points. That's the expectation. I, I mean, I mean, Neil, Chris, I, I want to hear your thoughts. Most of the time when we come into those games like that, the Gators are scoring 50. Even in, even in subpar seasons where we've had losing records, we've at least found a way to score 50 points on, on the quote-unquote cupcake. And, that, and that's what the fans want to see. So, yeah, it was great seeing Trey Smack kick the ball five times and, 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 and make all field goals. That's great. That's a great data point. But fans don't want to see five field goals. We want to see five touchdowns. Yeah, well, we, well, you know, Dustin, we've only scored 50 points one time thus far in the Billy Napier era, and that was against Eastern Washington last year. And I think I've, one of the things I like that you alluded to was the fact that just the sustainability of momentum. They talked about it last week. Can we sustain the momentum coming out of Tennessee and that big victory over the number 11 team in the country? And it, it it appears that the air was let out of the balloon a little bit, not all completely, but a lot. You know, there the 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 shine from that win has definitely lost uh, its luster now. And going forward, we're going to have to get it into gear very quickly. As you know, we're going to talk about later in the week. We play Kentucky, and then we get into Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and then Georgia in October. That's a very difficult stretch of games that have got coming up here as we get into the thick of the SEC. And you certainly cannot turn in a performance like we did last night in order to beat, I would say, even Kentucky or South Carolina for that matter. I think those two teams are very capable of beating a Florida team like what we saw last night. I think it was a little bit of a regression back to the mean in that, you know, we saw some of the same issues against uh, Charlotte that we saw against Utah 
And especially in the, in the special teams, the personnel not having enough people on the on the field, uh, the passing game, like you said, Dustin, just losing its creativity. The first two drives, there was a lot of creativity. We were able to drive the ball down. We had over 230 yards of offense in the first quarter and then hardly anything in the second quarter. So there's a lot that Billy Napier has to work on in the creativity of the passing game. And I'm sure we'll talk about what we think the solution to, to that is. Maybe it isn't even him providing the solution. But certainly, this is a performance that leaves a lot to be desired, like all of you were saying, and 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 we want to see more out of our Gators. But let's 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 talk about let's talk about the good. We're going to talk about the positives now, and then we'll get into the negatives, and then how what what maybe are the, some of the solutions for that. So let's talk about the the pros first, Neil. What are some of the pros you take away from this game? I mean, it, isn't it a felony offense if I don't start off with Ricky Pearsall here? That I that that was one of the greatest catches I've ever seen. And I was, I mean, as everyone I think at this point knows, I'm a New York Giants fan. Growing up, I had season tickets with my dad to watch the Giants play. So I was in the house when Odell Beckham made that famous catch against Dallas, where he's navigating the sideline and catches the ball with three fingers. That was the most incredible catch I'd ever seen. I think this one tops it because Pearsall got nailed as he caught it. Beckham had the sideline to navigate, but it's just not the same as getting lit up and still holding on to the football like that. It's just a, I don't know, man. I, I don't know too many guys who would hold on to that football. I don't know too many receivers in the NFL who would hold on to the, first of all, to go ahead and make the catch with a backhand like that. Somehow grab the ball with like that part of your hand. That in itself is incredible. Then factor in the fact that he gets absolutely popped. And he holds on to the ball. So that number one has to be the takeaway um, for the good. Opening drive was great. Um, I love that play design, as Dustin was talking about a minute ago. Love the idea of having Pearsall go in motion. We, I think a lot of fans have been decrying all that pre-snap motion. Well, why do we have to have guys in motion every single play? Is that a, a new rule in the state of Florida now? Did, did the governor of Florida, DeSantis, put some kind of law in motion that we have to have pre-snap movement on every single play? No, it's just how Napier likes to do it. But if you're going to do it, make sure you have some positives come out of it like i don't know drawing the entire defense over to the right side of the field with that motion and then the andy gene post route while arliss boardingham runs his drag route to the left side he's completely unguarded easy touchdown for florida so i like that i will give napier that that props right there and of course the defense defense was fantastic um the one touchdown i would have liked to have seen them make the stop on third and goal but you know that that would have been Spoiler alert, that would have been what gives them an A-plus grade and why they're not going to get an A-plus. But that was overall a great performance. Jalen Jones is a guy that is slippery. He's difficult to tackle. He's not the greatest thrower in the world, but he's difficult to bring to the ground. And I thought Florida, for the most part, other than a couple of runs here and there, did a good job of containing him. And last but not least, of course, Trey Smack. We've got our kicker. That is a good feeling because a couple of weeks ago, we thought we were going to be in for another 2015 type of ride with our kicking situation. That's not the case now. Obviously, Trace Mack has only kicked in a game and a half. It's possible, if not probable, at some point he's going to miss kicks. But we generally feel confident that we have a kicker now who is going to make the kicks he's supposed to make. No more kicks coming out low and getting extra points blocked. No more shanking kicks from 35 yards wide. We have a guy that yeah, he's probably going to be reliable from inside of 30. And that just feels good because that is not what we thought we were going to have earlier this season. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that Smack is going to be a very reliable kicker. I always thought that about him. Trey was a scholarship kicker. He's one of the top five kickers at a high school. It was bizarre that he was never the starter from the get-go. I, I don't know what they were watching in practice. And I remember, you know, Neil, I had mentioned it multiple times. It was like, the guy clearly has a leg. He's booting it through the end zone every single time. Had, was there an accuracy issue? I don't know. Clearly not on Saturday night and clearly not against Tennessee because he hit both his PATs and the chip shot field goal that night. So now he's six for six on field goals in two games. He's made all of his extra points. The The kicking job's won. At this point, it's over. Trace Mack is the Gators kicker. And, and we're going to be in a lot of close games this year. It's a positive to know if he continues to kick like that, we can rely on him to win games. Because if we didn't have him, I think Florida probably loses a few more games on the schedule this year, knowing what's ahead. We're going to have some close games probably against Kentucky, probably against South Carolina, Missouri, at least to name a few. And without his leg, I think Florida was going to be in some big time trouble in special teams. At least now there's something on the special team side of the ball that we can be excited about or at least happy about. But yeah, I mean, no, I, I agree. That's good. That's a very good positive to draw. Dustin, what are some of the positives? I know you mentioned the opening drive, some of the the, the passing concepts on that first drive, uh, the first couple of drives there. But what are some other t- big positive takeaways we can take from this game moving forward? Yeah, Chris. So first off, I want to I want to make an agreement statement with you. So the model had had simulated this season. So we've not run the model considering the data from the most recent game, but uh, pre-Charlotte game, we have a model simulation for the season. It had Florida going eight and four, and four of the remaining games, um, it has Florida either winning or losing by less than three points, three points or less. So if we do the math, the kicker is the difference in all those games. So you know we'll we'll get to it when we discuss the Kentucky game in 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 the preview podcast. But that game, more off, it, that game is probably going to come down to a kick. South Carolina probably going to come down to a kick. Now we'll see what happens with Florida and FSU. That game, hopefully, Florida continues to improve, and hopefully, we get in a position where that's a one possession game again. You know, if if we need a kicker to kick a game winning field goal versus Florida State, it has to be Trey Smack. It has to be him. So. Big, big shout out to Trey Smack. And the big, my big takeaway from him is not only did we see him execute consistently five for five, but we saw him showcase his range. Now, he, he made that 54 yarder. He nailed it. He probably could have nailed it from 60. But we know that we have a kicker that not only is consistent, but can kick it from nearly any place where you're going to ask a kicker to kick the ball. The other thing I want to talk about is defense. I thought for the most part, our defense played outstanding. Now, Florida's defense should play outstanding versus a team like Charlotte. But what was positive to me is Charlotte did have Jalen Jones. Now, Jalen Jones is not the passer. Uh, and there's he in, in terms of the SEC talent, he's probably the seventh or eighth best quarterback that Florida is going to play this year. But in terms of his running ability, I'm not sure we're going to see a quarterback close. Maybe, maybe LSU's quarterback, maybe, maybe uh, 
Jordan Travis from FSU, but even Jordan Travis, I, I think, I think I would take Jalen Jones in a, in a foot race versus Jordan Travis. So I, I was very pleased to see for the most part, how we contained, how we contained him. And he did have that one score, but other than that, I thought we did a pretty good job at keeping him out of the end zone. So that was positive. I thought we got pressure from the get go. I thought, uh, I know Scooby came out of the game for a little bit, um, with, uh, he was, he was beat up. Um, on, on, on one of the plays, but I thought for the most part, uh, we stayed healthy on defense. I thought for the most part, we, uh, we executed defensively. And I think that's something you can take to the bank offense. You know, I know we're not, I know this isn't quite our, our stock up or stock down, uh, segment, but offense <laughs> stock down all the way, but defense stock up all the way. I like our defense. I like the sustainability of our defense. Coach ham is elite. And I think we can take that for the bank. And I think in 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 games that our offense is otherwise going to keep us out of, or I think our defense is going to keep us in them. So that's a big takeaway for me, and uh, I look forward to what you guys have to say. Yeah, no, the defense this game was the third, only the sixth time in the Billy Napier era that we held an offense under 300 yards. Three of those six games have now occurred this season. Utah, McNeese, and of course, Charlotte. The other game this season, Tennessee, we held them under 400 yards, which against Josh Heupel, pretty impressive to hold a Josh oh, yeah, Heupel no team under, under 400 yards. And Shamar James and Scooby Williams are quickly becoming two of the best linebacker combos in all of the SEC this year. They're playing all conference ball together. And without those guys, I don't think this defense would be as stout as it is. But that front seven between the defensive line, the, the transfers and Cam Jackson, Caleb Banks that we've brought in there. Princely Uman Yellen finally seems like he's starting to come into himself in the in, in the last two games. You know, he's starting to get that pressure, that pursuit that we're hoping to see that we, we, we knew he was capable of, but we hadn't seen it on tape, at least I don't think until the last six quarters of play. And that's finally starting to show up. We're going to need him in a big way as we start to play, you know, some of those drop back passing quarterbacks uh, like a Devin Leary against Kentucky, who is going to sit in the pocket a little bit more. And we're going to need that strong pass rush to get to him when they opt to go that route. But yeah, no, I think the defense is playing very well. I mean, you you can't be upset when we were, we're a top 10 unit in the country right now. And in some metrics, the top in the SEC. So we have to be happy about that. I obviously would have loved to have seen the shutout. I thought the one drive they did score on us, you know, there were some missed tackles. There were some missed assignments. Uh, that option, I think, threw us off a little bit on that drive when they finally really started to go for that. And I think when the, they made that switch to Jalen Jones strictly for the rest of the game away from Trexler Ivy, it showed a little bit. But they made, but Coach Ham made the adjustments. Florida was able to hold them to seven the rest of the way. And the Gators, uh, you know, obviously prevailed. The last thing I'll say, too, is I thought that it was good to see, like Dustin mentioned, no additional injuries. We got banged up in that Tennessee game. A lot of guys sat out. And I think that might be a little bit of a storyline here of why the offensive line struggled in this game was they were down three starters. It, clearly, without those three starters, this is a very different unit. But I think we could at least see it say that we're coming into the Kentucky game, hopefully a little bit healthier, which we're going to need them for that effort and to get the victory on the road. So I think that about covers the good in this game, the positives. Now let's talk about the negatives. And and I think this is, this is where we're going to start to really voice some, some growing concerns, some observations that now are becoming trends. Billy Napier has a lot on his plate, as we've mentioned. 
He's a great CEO. He's a great leader of a program, a culture builder, a recruiter. In fact, after the game, he was on the field for almost an hour talking to the five-star recruits, Charles Lester, Jeremiah Smith, as well as a slew of other big-time visitors this weekend. The man knows what he's doing on and off the field there. But the play calling is questionable. And I think there's now becoming a big growing concern that he's got too much on his plate. He cannot be the play caller. He might need to reshuffle this this staff after this season or at least make some tweaks sometime this season in order to see some yield some better results. I, I don't know, Neil, I'm very concerned that we are not we're not going to see the change probably right away this year. But would you agree that Billy Napier might need to look at relinquishing the play calling duties? I mean, I think that was the observation after Utah, and he really hasn't done anything to dissuade that line of thinking since then. It's not even my biggest concern, though. Uh, you touched on the offensive line being bad, and you, you sort of gave them the pardon of the injury issue. Well, that's all well and good, but now we've got Austin Barber missing a block, who is generally considered to be one of our two best offensive linemen. He whiffed pretty badly on a block. And guy comes right around by him, strip sack. Charlotte takes over deep in Florida territory. Uh, Trevor Etienne, maybe we'll touch on this in a little bit, but maybe one of the reasons he doesn't play as much or he didn't play as much against Charlotte was because he's a liability in pass pro. He missed a block. That led to a sack. That's problematic. That can't happen. So on the other hand, there's the issue of, well, why is he getting eight touches while Montreal Johnson gets 16 as running backs? Trevor Etienne is the lightning guy. Montreal Johnson's the thunder guy. I'm a huge fan of Montreal Johnson. He definitely has a big role in this offense, and he should get the football, but th their roles are just that. He's the thunder. Etienne is the lightning. Let them, let them do that. Let Montreal Johnson be your bull. Let Trevor Etienne be your game breaker, your home runner. Let them do what they're good at. And you're not going to accomplish that by feeding ETN eight times throughout the course of a football game. And the reality is if, if Napier was just trying to keep ETN healthy, as some fans were, were saying was probably the case, you know, Neil, calm down. He's just trying to keep ETN healthy. doesn't want to showcase him too much. Well, then you should want to keep Johnson healthy too, for that exact same reason. You shouldn't want to showcase Johnson, too, for that exact same reason. If you're really trying to hold back for Kentucky, Montreal Johnson does have a big role in this offense. And therefore, by that line of logic, if you're going to go with that, you shouldn't be overusing him either. So that was questionable. The play calling, as you mentioned, I actually did like a good number of the play calls, um, but they were sporadic. They were spread out. Every now and then, he'd call what I thought was a good play design um, obviously, the the touchdown, as we talked about earlier, was a great play design. But for the most part, the majority of the calls were very boring and vanilla. They're just not ideal to see from the Florida Gator offense. Not ideal in any game, especially not when you have, as you mentioned, a five-star wide receiver and Jeremiah Smith in the house, which is there a real chance he comes to Florida? Probably not. You definitely didn't help matters. You definitely did not give yourself anything to really sell to him with that showing. So if the idea was not to show too much for Kentucky as a whole, I kind of get that. But also there's the issue that this was a game for a lot longer than it should have been. One play in the second half 
becomes a catastrophe. Like there's one strip sack for a scoop and score. Like we saw Clemson have, there's one ball that gets deflected, tipped high in the air, picked off and run back for a touchdown. You're in a two point game with Charlotte in the second half. And now you got a real problem on your hands because you're sweating it out against a team. You should have been beating by 30. So look, you come out and you beat Kentucky. No one's going to care. I'm not going to care. Dustin's not going to care. I'm sure. Chris, I'm sure you're not going to care. We come out and beat Kentucky. This is just whatever. Bad memory, but who cares? But this did not really inspire a lot of confidence that they'll do that. So, yeah, as you said, there is definitely reason to be concerned about this team. Yeah, no doubt. I think that it's two weeks ago when we lost to Utah or three weeks ago, whenever that was now, we said no one's going to care as much about this if you beat Tennessee. It happened. I think, you know, based on what we're seeing is that it's going to be a juggle and hide approach. But that right there is a problem, too, because what we're trying to see is is progress, consistency, sustainability, like Dustin's saying. And when you have performances like this where there's a step back, it really does call into question, Okay, are we actually building something for the future? Uh, But Dustin, what are some of your uh, your your negative takeaways from this game? Yeah. So, Neil, Chris, I I agree. So here's the thing. The, The big question is this. What is this game a data point or is it an outlier? Now, what I mean by that. So a data point means it's it's part of the data. It, it, it is what it is. This is how the Gators are. This is how the Gators will be. We should expect a similar trend against Kentucky in all games moving forward. An outlier would be Florida played to the opponent. They played a, a, a bad, uh, relatively speaking, a bad team. And Florida didn't play their best. That, that's what I hope it is. I hope it's an outlier because if we show up in Lexington with this exact same game plan, this exact same mindset from Billy Napier, this exact same mindset from the team, we're going to get crushed. We're going to get crushed. Kentucky's going to beat us 37 to 7. If we, I, I'm, I'm not even joking. Is Kentucky the best team in the SEC? No. Are they Georgia? No. Are they LSU even? No. But we will get crushed. Okay, a performance like that, Vanderbilt would 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 probably it would it would either be a game in the fourth quarter or we might we might actually lose to Vanderbilt. I'm I'm not joking. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Down or anything. I, and I actually I my personal thought and my personal expectations this is an outlier. I think we we kind of had the high from Tennessee, and I think the team didn't play how they should have played. And on top of that, we all are aware of Billy Napier's process. We're all aware that this is a teaching period for Billy Napier's program. This is not this is not the year that Billy Napier penciled down in his grand plan to win the Natty. Okay, that's year three, year four, right? This is that year where you're getting out all the kinks and preparing the program to be that juggernaut program. Okay, think look. I I, I hate to use this analogy, but look at FSU right now. I hate the analogy to my core, but FSU right now is looking pretty good. Last year, they looked pretty good. But before that, they looked terrible. There was a process that Norvell instilled at FSU, and FSU is certainly looking like a championship-caliber team. Now, are they going to be able to compete with Georgia? Are they going to be able to compete with with the, uh, the, the top talent in the country? It remains to be seen, but... All I'm trying to say 
is Lorvell had a process. He put that process in place. They looked bad, but they got better. I hate that the analogy is FSU. I, guys, what what do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's not fun to not be where we want to be, of course, and then to see FSU finally get that big boogeyman off their shoulder, which was Clemson. They uh, they overcame a uh, deficit on the road, and finally they led not one second in regulation and then ultimately won in overtime. But I, I like what you're saying, Dustin. I mean, there's a saying is lose by a lot, then lose by a little, then win by a little, then win by a lot. I think where Florida is right now in that is they're in that phase of lose by a little, win by a little. So if we're going by that, we're a little bit ahead of schedule. Whereas like, you know, you have, it takes four years to get to that point where you're winning by a lot. I think Florida may be a little bit ahead in the schedule in that analogy. And of course we all know the recruiting class Florida has coming in top three class could add to it, especially if you get a surprise commitment from like a Charles Lester who was in attendance. That was a surprise visit. Nobody knew he was coming until I think game time, which was nice to see. And he's said that he's going to take an official visit before signing day in December. Jeremiah Smith, obviously another one. There's a slew of other LJ McRae, Zay Mency. There's guys we can add to this class. And then we're seeing the impact right now of freshmen and sophomores. So we're clearly building, but it, you know, I think there's some growing pains too associated with it. And when you have a very young team like we do, because the majority of the guys contributing are underclassmen. I mean, if you look at the roster, the only guy, there's a chance the only starter that we lose next year is Ricky Pearsall. Everybody else that's starting right now could come back. So we could have 21 of 22 starters plus both our specials back next year. You're going to have some games, I think, like this. You're going to have variances like Dustin's talking about where you could have an outlier like a Charlotte. To be honest, mm-hmm. if we're, this was a classic letdown look-ahead spot. You're coming off a huge rivalry win in the Swamp where you played one of your best games, probably in the two-year tenure of Billy Napier. And then you have a team in Kentucky next week who has beaten you three of the last five times, including the last two, and has completely outclassed, outcoached you in the majority of the matchups in the last – I'd say six to seven years, even when the times we won it. So this is a time where I think Florida was probably looking a little bit ahead of Kentucky. They did have some injuries and also they're coming off of an emotional win against Tennessee. But that, that just goes to show that we need leaders, the leaders that are starting to emerge like a Tyreek Sapp or a Shamar James or Scooby Williams, a Graham Mertz, the guys in that locker room that are be, have been a lot more vocal than what we've seen in recent years. They got to step up in this moment and, and tell these guys, listen, you got lucky that we played Charlotte after a letdown game to Tennessee. It could have been we played Kentucky, and you play that kind of game against Kentucky, like Dustin mentioned. You're going to lose big. You're going to you're not just going to lose by one score, two scores. You might lose by three, four, five. We can't. It, it cannot happen. So, I, I agree. Hopefully, this is an outlier. This is a game where it's just a data point, and then we have more positive data points turning on that plot graph upward. But that obviously remains uh, to be seen. Uh, and I, th- I think right now in this game, there were a lot more negatives than positives to draw. But the major positive that probably outweighs it all is the fact we did get the win. And for the first time in two years, Florida does start the season three and one with a chance for the first time since 2020 to go four and one. Of course, this is the first time in three years we've won three games in a row. So. Okay, we're it back, back to the positives, but isn't that that's crazy? That's a wild statistic, though. The first time we've won three games in a row since the the COVID year, yep. uh, which is it's crazy. But 
I mean, I, I do want to go back and touch really quick on one thing that I think both of you guys alluded to. Um, the team that we saw against Charlotte, if that's the team we see the rest of the year, Florida's going 4-8. They're not making a bowl game. They'll probably beat Vandy. They will maybe beat Missouri to go 5-7. and seven. They will not make a bowl game. But here's the distinction. I don't think that the team we saw against Charlotte is the team we'll see in the majority of the rest of the games. But that is another problem. As Chris talked about a minute ago, you can't have this Jekyll and Hyde routine. You can't do this seesaw thing where you pick and choose when you play well. That is how you get results like, I don't know, a losing record against Kentucky the last five years. That is how you get upset by a Missouri team like we did in the swamp by three touchdowns in 2018. Oh, we feel bad for ourselves. We lost to Georgia. So yeah, we're just whatever. We'll beat Missouri. Who cares? No, you got embarrassed. You lost by three scores in that game. That's how those kinds of results happen. And Chris, what we've been saying throughout the off season and through the early part of this season, if you're Florida, it's the old Greg McElroy quote. If you're Florida, don't worry about Georgia. Don't worry about LSU. Don't even worry about FSU. Worry about Missouri. Worry about South Carolina. Worry about Kentucky. Worry about, yeah, Vandy, who beat you the last time you faced them. Worry about winning those kinds of games. And look, Charlotte is not at the caliber of those teams. Those teams are in the SEC. So that logic would lead you to believe that Florida will probably give you better efforts against those teams than they did against Charlotte. But that does not say that Florida will give the kinds of efforts that are needed to win those types of games. It certainly doesn't say Florida, as you said, Dustin, sustainability. It certainly does not say that Florida will be the program that goes out and gives the best effort they can possibly give on a weekly basis. That's a problem. That's a big, big problem. So, like I said, like I think we've all alluded to, I don't think the team that we saw against Charlotte is the team that we will see again the rest of the year. Hopefully the defense is. Hopefully the Trey Smack we saw is the same. But for the most part, I think that we agree Florida can play a lot better, and I think they will, but they have to because they're out of cupcakes now. There's no more McNeese. There's no more Charlotte. Vanderbilt is probably the weakest team left on the schedule, maybe Missouri, but those are still SEC teams. So, the days of us playing down to our, our opponent have to be over. That's it. No, no more of those. You got to play like you're playing for the SEC championship every week that's left in the season. And that includes against teams that are supposedly lesser than you like Vandy and Missouri. So just got to point that out that I think Florida will play better the rest of the way, but they, they better. There's no room for error now. Yeah. The, the, the focus has to be there. And I think, a lot of times, too, there's been evidence that Florida does play down to the level of their opponent. Billy Napier, this was kind of fascinating. He's only covered one spread when he was the favorite since he's arrived in Gainesville, and that was South Carolina last year. However, when he's been the underdog, he has covered almost every single time. The oh, I think there are only three times he didn't was Utah, Oregon State, and I want to say FSU maybe last year, or well, it was one of the, it was one of the losses last year, but that's, that's, that's crazy to think, but good news. Kentucky opened up as a three and a half point favorite in Lexington. So by that logic, you know, going in, chances are Florida probably covers that three and a half point spread um, going into Lexington next week. But I, I mean, it, it does go to show that thus far, early on in the tenure of Billy Napier, his teams have played down to the level of their opponent and have played up uh, to teams that 
typically right now are just a little bit better than them on paper. So we'll have to see. Of course, that's another trend that's been following each other now. But nonetheless, despite the lackluster performance, despite the lack down look ahead spot that this game ended up becoming, Florida is three and one. We rose now in the rankings in the AP poll up to number 22. We are now ranked in the coaches poll at number 23. And we are only a three and a half point underdog to Kentucky on the road in Lexington this week. So we'll have to uh, see where this goes. But before we get to the potential solutions we're going to discuss, I want to go ahead and shout out the Gator Good Foundation. Neil has a special announcement for us now where he is going to be unveiling that lucky fan that will be going to the Arkansas game. I went in the Air Force in June of uh, 95. I had a bad situation, the turmoil of uh, being a single parent. Coming from the projects and actually going into the military, um, my parents were on drugs. Coming in and you, you, you getting structure. And so I received structure and I learned how to do everything and I was a single parent. And then my daughter, I put her in the Air Force middle daughter she's getting ready to join uh, the Air National Guard we're just kind of a military family and I'm a diehard gator that was good how did everybody doing oh shit <laughs> What's up, man? I know you in the armed services, man, and I, you know, a lot of people don't know this about me, man. But uh, my my father was in the army, my brother was a marine. Thank you for what you do, man. You heard about uh, Florida gonna be wearing black jerseys this year? So I had already ordered one, and then the one today that I bought one a long time ago that I had special made overseas. You made one well before they decided this year. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Make sure you make sure you wear it November the fourth because you got an all expense paid trip to Gainesville for the Arkansas Florida game. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much, man. Well, congratulations to Tyson Wills, and thank you so much for serving your country honorably for 30 years in the Air Force. Tyson, we cannot wait to meet you in Gainesville on November 4th as we take on the Arkansas Razorbacks. So, guys, we've talked about the positives, the negatives of this game. Now let's talk about maybe some solutions that we have, and we're going to put our analytical hats on here. Dustin, I'm going to start with you. You know, there's clearly some creativity that was shown in the first couple of drives in the passing game. But as we mentioned, the play calling, just the creativity was not there for the rest of it. 
And that is a big part why we kicked a lot of field goals and not scoring scored a lot more touchdowns. And, and by large part, one of the reasons we have one of the worst red zone efficiencies in the country. So what are some things that Billy Napier and his staff can do right now to remedy that? And then long-term, what would you like to see the offense become? So really three things super quick that I want to lightning round out, out to you guys. Number one, I mean, you guys are going to talk about it, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But I, I do think that it's time for the Florida Gators to think about hiring an offensive coordinator. Because with the right coordinator that can run a, a system that is very similar to what Billy Napier has designed for the Gators, just with maybe a little bit more creativity on the passing end, I think the Gators would would have an incredible offense. I mean, look at Miami Dolph at the Miami Dolphins. Upon the recording of this episode, they scored seventy against the Broncos today. Seventy points in the NFL is unheard, unheard of. of. And did they really? They, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. They really scored 70? seventy. Seventy. Yeah, to 20. seventy to twenty. Yeah. Wow. And, and a lot of those are my Dolphins, by the way. So. For all the all the disappointment that I had yesterday, it, what's funny? This is the funny thing: the twenty-two to seven game. That was my expectation for the Dolphin game, right? And then the seventy to twenty game. That's what we usually like to see for the 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 college game versus the the, the game the team that's not as good. You know, <laughs> seventy to twenty. <laughs> and oh then show goodness. that again. Show that again for the people in the back. Wow. Happy Dolphins fan here today. And Dustin, he's giddy. Yeah, yeah. So, but back to the analytics. Conceptually, the Dolphins run a system that is very similar to what Billy Napier runs. The key is the route tree. The route tree is a lot more complicated, which is a good thing. A complex route tree is a good thing. If you're executing it, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And also, I'm getting very technical here. But you, you want to have separation in your in your locations from receiver to receiver in your pass concepts. If you're running a levels concept, you need your receivers to be at least five yards apart. That's the bare minimum. Honestly, I would expect in college for for players to be at least nine yards apart. When I was in high school, the separation distance was seven yards. And you would if the if the receivers were closer than seven yards, there's an issue because not to get super technical, but that's part of what we do in the in, in the in all kinds of weather forecast. We're, we're, we want to be technical. You, the key to running an effective pass offense is making a defender declare a person that they need a guard. Now it's a lot easier with with man to man, but if a team is running zone, you want that deep safety. Either they're running quarters. Uh, they're running cover two, cover three. You want the deep safety or the deep safeties to declare which player they're going to cover. So if you're, if you're running a levels concept or you're running a corner hitch, you have to get that player to cover just one of them. If that safety can cover the hitch and the corner at the same time, that's a defeated route. That that route it doesn't work. And it seems all too often we're running these level concepts or these mesh concepts, and we're having a lot of players in the same part of the field at the same time. Another time, because and the other side is the offensive line. The offensive line has to get better, not only from a personnel standpoint, which hopefully 
via the, the, the recruiting efforts, that will certainly get better. Um, but schematically, we, we need to help scheme so that we need, we need a better quit game. Okay. When I was playing high school, we had, we had a, a the, the coach called it catch, flip, throw. You catch the ball, you turn your hips, the ball is out. We don't do that a lot. It's a lot of three-step drops and five-step drops. And by the time you get to that fourth or fifth step, there's already a, a defender in the face of Graham Mertz. Now, he's done a good job at getting into the check down for the most part, but getting the ball to the check down is not how you're going to win big football games, especially since Charlotte laid the perfect blueprint for defending Florida. You load the box and dare Florida to, to throw the ball and assume that Florida's not going to be able to get the ball down the field because they're not going to have enough time to get the ball down the field for these complicated routes to, to, to take shape. Now, let me just say one more thing. A complex route tree is different than complex routes. A complex, all, all I'm saying when I say that Florida needs a complex route tree is we need a route tree. And what is a route tree? A, a route tree is just a slew of passing plays and not just passing plays, but passing scheme for the three receiver side, the two receiver side, or the two receiver, the, the two receiver tight ends. Like, like you could, you could get into a lot of rigmarole. I'm just going to say it like this. What we need is we need a passing scheme that takes advantage of what the defense is putting forward. So if the defense loads the box and dares us to throw the ball, you best believe we're going to get the ball downfield and we're going to score big. If the defense doesn't load the box and they give separation in the inside of the field, then you best believe we're going to get it to ETN and we're going to run down their throats and we're going to get 10, 15, 20 yards of play because that's how the Florida Gators should, should operate in terms of offense. And I said a lot there, but that's kind of my two cents in terms of what we need to do to improve. And I think a big, a big thing that'll help is, is a change in, in uh, bringing in a new offensive coordinator to kind of run that side of the ball. Yeah, I like what you said there about that, Dustin, but especially with the the route trees and how you have players at the same place at the same time on the field. And the biggest one that I can think of was the third down throw attempt where Graham Ertz got sacked, which led to the 54-yard field goal. On that play, they all ran slants in the same direction, and it was an easy cover for the linebackers and the corners on that play. They all ran into each other. He had nowhere to go. That's why he had to try to scramble out to the right and then it, he had nothing down the field no no safety valves or anything and it was just a, it was a play that was doomed from the start so i i totally agree more creativity in the passing game downfield would certainly help but of course you also have to block for your quarterback and allow those downfield passing concepts to start to develop and there were a couple of big hits down the field we did hit ricky pearsall uh andy gene Got his first big catch in this game, a 32-yard completion down the sideline. He also was able to run a 25-yard reverse, so starting to flash that ability, which we were hoping we could see early on in his career here at Florida. He put a little bit on tape this game. But, no, I, I think that we have got to – clearly, even though Graham Mertz was 20 of 23, you know, he had over 85% completion percentage, 259 yards and a touchdown. He had over 300 yards against Utah. There is no correlation – to a positive passing game for Florida and a successful offensive scheme. Florida is good 
on offense when they run the football effectively. They did not run the football effectively. They only averaged 3.8 yards a carry against Charlotte. But against Tennessee, they averaged over four and a half. And that clearly was the difference in that game. So for Florida to be great on offense, they have to be a successful running uh, running the football. So I think Billy Napier, at the very least right now, is going to have to scheme open. He's a master schemer at getting at the run concepts. And he had a couple good ones on tape later in the game. That's what got Trevor Etienne going a little bit late in this game. But... The passing game does not matter. You have to, the run game complements the passing game. And you have to run the ball to open up the pass in this offense. And Florida just hasn't been able to successfully do that consistently yet, other than maybe the Tennessee game. So, Neil, what do you, I mean, that's kind of what I think. And I think we need to run the football a little bit more. But what do you think about that? First of all, I'm surprised neither of you touched on my number one takeaway. I mean, obviously the offense has to be addressed, but. Guys, why did we line up for a field goal attempt with only 10 guys on the field? Again, why? Why? There's there's no explanation for that. There's no excuse for that. And yes, the kick went through the uprights. And I'm sure most people didn't notice it. That's unacceptable. That, that's unacceptable. You need a special teams coordinator. Because as we talked about, they're going to be in close games. Especially as we go through this, lose by a lot, lose by a little, win by a little, win by a lot progression stages, right? You're going to lose games with that kind of thing. Get Dustin, you said your model is going to have, what, four games left on the schedule that come down to a kick? You don't think that having one fewer player on the field than your opponent might just lead to a kick getting blocked? Well, to be fair, to be fair Neil, we had 10 guys. Last time we had eight, so we are... Oh, my, my apologies. We are clearly <laughs> showing improvement there. Oh my God! That's, I just, that's, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Sarc- I know, I know you are, but I'm, I'm playing right into it. Dustin, what is that? That's a what a 125 percent growth right there from eight to ten. It's something like that. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's growing, growing by a quarter. We're getting right? better. You're putting the personal right. So no, unacceptable. That I mean, yeah. Chris Couch is definitely wearing out his welcome. I mean, even think about this. Even the thing that went right, especially that Chris Couch could take credit for right Florida blocks a punt and the punt still rolls down inside the 20 yard line like that's just a sign that the football gods hate Chris Couch like I I tweeted that last night and I I got some comments about well I'm on God's side on this one stuff you know stuff like that like he is clearly wearing out his welcome patience for him is running thin and obviously look we as fans, we as media analysts, whatever you want to call us, we don't make those decisions. Obviously, Billy Napier does. But we are reaching the point in time where it is very difficult to defend the job that he has done so far. And right. in, in fairness, he's not really supposed to be doing the same kinds of things that the other 11 position guys are supposed to be doing because he doesn't have that kind of title. He's not a position coach. He's not supposed to be one of those quote unquote on field assistants. That's why we have two offensive line coaches. Well, that has to be taken out from somewhere else. And Napier decided that the scapegoat is going to, is going to be special teams. He's not going to have a special teams coach so he can have two offensive line coaches. But if you're going to do that, Number one, the offensive line has to be elite. It, it cannot be good. It cannot be above average. If you're going to have two O-line coaches, the line must be an elite unit. It is not that right now. I understand Kingsley didn't play. I understand we had suspensions. If you're going to have two offensive line coaches and take one coach away from somewhere else, it's got to be elite. And number two, the special teams cannot be abysmal. 
Now, five made field goals, finding our kicker. Maybe you don't say it's abysmal, but throughout the course of the year, it has not exactly been the game changer that Napier called it. So that's number one. Um, we need to see that improvement made this offseason. Number two, Dustin, uh, I mean, the call for an OC, I think 90% of Gator fans would agree with that. I do wonder what Rob Sale could do as a play caller. He does have some experience with the Giants, not as a play caller, but he's been on the NFL circuit before. Maybe Billy Gonzalez, he's definitely got some creativity uh, as a receiver. What about Russ Calloway? Russ Calloway, to me, I think is more of the yeah. obvious choice. I mean, he he was an offensive coordinator that averaged over you know 400 yards and, and, and was elite at passing. I, I, that one, to me, I actually I think is is the better one. But that was going to be my third selection. Uh, number four would have been Jabbar Duluk. Point being, you've got four guys on your staff that you could potentially choose to give the keys of the offense to on a trial run basis. If I were going to select one, it would be Russ Calloway. But you've got four reasonable options. To go to him and say, hey, here are the keys to the offense the rest of the year. Let's see what you've got on a trial run basis. And if that person does well as a play caller, well, then you've saved yourself the agony of going through a coaching search this offseason. You can focus more on your recruiting. So that process would have to start now. You can't just hand the keys over to him for a bowl game or even for the FSU game or even after the Georgia game, because that's still just a couple of weeks. Give him the two-thirds of the season that are still left to see what he can do as a play caller to give yourself some real data there. Obviously he's not going to do that, but, but the offense continuing to flounder the way it has, especially in the red zone, that would be something that I don't think would be a terrible idea. And Dustin, the levels concept that we were talking about, I mean, you just talked about now, we talked about that live as we were watching the game together from section 14, the route running by Florida's receivers look crisp. It, lo- it looked good. They, they looked like they were running very precise routes. They were running routes with a purpose, and they were running them with that purpose into the same area, which yes. look, if that happens once or twice, you know, okay, the mistake. Guy ran the wrong route. We've seen this happen a lot this year. We've seen guys running these routes into the same area where one corner can cover two routes several times this year, which doesn't really help Graham Mertz, which takes away the passing game, and that is a design problem. That is bad design. And we talked about the play design in the TD earlier. Napier is capable of coming up with good play designs. Or, I mean, if he didn't come up with that play design, someone on his staff did. So he may not be Dan Mullen in terms of just a pure offensive mind, but we saw that this staff, whether it's Napier or Russ Calloway or Jabbar Luke or Gonzalez or whatever, someone on this staff does have the capability to come up with very good play designs. And that is what gets me irritated when I see these guys purposely running routes over and over and over again into the same five or six square yard radius. That's exactly that's not, that's not what you want to see out of a young hungry coach who is supposed to be the innovator, right? That's what Napier is here to do. He's supposed to be the innovative mind. Maybe he's not the pure offensive mind Mullen is, as I said a second ago, but you expect him to generally do things in an innovative, new, creative fashion. And the play calling is a big part of it. And look, every young coach is going to make mistakes. Every young coach learns by trial and error at some point. Every coach is going to have to learn things the hard way. They're going to learn things the F around and find out way. But Florida has been doing this since Napier got here. And that tells me through one and a third seasons, Napier clearly hasn't made a creative pass route circuit 
a priority for his team because Anthony Richardson could get by with his athleticism. He just made incredible things happen that people go, wow, what a run, what a play. Richardson, wow, what a throw because his arm strength is so great, right? But we haven't been seeing good route running with purposes to get receivers open. A lot of pieces of that sense, but we haven't seen good route running by Florida's receivers with the purpose of getting a receiver open since Napier got here. We've seen great catches, Pearsall, Caleb Douglas, yes. great plays, but we haven't seen great designs, and that is not a good sign. I think that yeah, – no. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dustin. You go ahead. Yeah, just super quick. They, I mean, I don't think we have to look any further than Billy Gonzalez. Now, I'm not saying that he should be the offensive coordinator, but he was part of the offensive staff that engineered one of the greatest offenses in, in recent Florida history in that 2020 team. Look, that 2020 offense, I put that up against any offense that the Gators have had, including some of the big-time offenses that that Steve Spurrier held back in the 90s. Now, I wasn't really alive for a lot of those, but Billy Gonzalez understands a thing or two about developing a route tree that get guys open. And look, we have a we have a we have a, a guy in Graham Mertz. When, when you give him time and you give him space, He's going to get the ball in the right spot. Now, there were several times where he was he was kind of thrown off kilter. Obviously, he had the, the strip sack, uh, which is uncalled for. But Graham Mertz is a serviceable quarterback that can throw the ball where you need him to throw the ball. And he put the ball on the money several times in that game. The challenge is if you don't have guys open, you're not going to have a strong passing scheme. And the last thing I'll say is this. It seems like the only time that we get separation in terms of our, our receivers is with the four verts, which we do a pretty darn good job with the four verts. That's really our only vertical passing game that we have other than the occasional post on play action. But our, our four verts are doing good, but we should we should have some creativity off that. Imagine if we had some sort of option route where we have the four verticals, but when we're when, when the uh, the opponent is showing cover two, we break that inside vertical into a post. That would be wide open in the middle of the field. Or what if you do a, a play where you run the four verts and they're in cover two, you have that that inside receiver run a corner. So you have that that uh that outside vertical taking the safety up, and then you run that corner. And that, uh, that, you know, <laughs> I'd have to draw it up. I, I drew up something right here, but maybe, maybe down the line we'll get a we'll get a chalkboard or a, or a, or a dry erase board, and I'll I'll be able to sketch it up with chalk. I was gonna chalk say you need a whiteboard. You need yeah. a whiteboard and that, that green guys. of yours. Yeah, we need to get yeah. we need to have Dustin just start doing some play breakdown for us, kind of like a la Steve Spurrier style, and then, you know, like how he has the uh, in Spurrier's <laughs> restaurant, like the wallpaper of all the plays from like big time games. We need something kind of like that uh, for for Dustin up in his room there. But <laughs> I, I mean, it's hard to see, but I got some slants drawn right now. You can see yeah. kind of the issue. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah, you're boxing your guys in on those routes. Not I was going to say, could one of could one of the issues possibly be, be that you have all four guys running to the exact same spot? Yeah, no, I think that's it. I, I, it's there's just no creativity in that whatsoever, and it, I, almost any sport like you could think of soccer, 
basketball, football, when you got guys bunching up like that, you're you're taking away passing lanes. There's you're not letting the ball move freely, you're not letting players move freely to get open, and things can't happen at that point. And it gets really, really uh bogged down in those moments. But one thing I did want to mention, and I think this maybe would be a great anal- analytical uh, article piece for the website, is if you go back and look at Billy Napier's results, there are several things that stick out to me. One is that he doesn't score more than 40 points very often. Two, his quarterbacks, tipi- uh, in almost half their games, don't throw for more than 200 yards. And three, his defenses are very dominant. Sound familiar? And th- that was a trend all four years at Louisiana. So unless he decides to change calling the plays, bringing in a different offensive coordinator, I think we're going to see a similar formula at Florida for a long time. Now, that doesn't mean Florida can't be successful with that model. Like certainly if you play dominant defense, you are stout in the run game. You you have a great offensive line that allows your quarterback to execute when they he needs to. Then yeah, you can win. And clearly, it worked for Napier, but that was in the Sun Belt. This is the SEC. It's a little bit different. I do think Napier is going to be faced with a moment sometime this season or at the end of the season where he's going to have to say, "Okay, how do we take that next step?" Well, we're starting to win by a lot. We're beating the teams, the elite teams of the conference that help elevate us to the best in the SEC. As we all know, the SEC is going to get even more difficult next year with Texas and Oklahoma joining. What will Billy Napier do? Will he change? Because right now. What long-term data trends show about Billy Napier is that he is not going to do the things that Gator fans want to see, which is a very exciting offense. So we'll have to see. But, fellas, I think we're we're, we're going to cover the model a little bit more extensively, but I do want to shout out Dustin's model. If you bet with his model this week on the seven games we previewed, you would have won money. The model went five and two this weekend. So, Dustin, we're going to give you a chance later in this week to go over that in depth. But I wanted to give the fans at least uh, an idea of how successful this model is becoming now five weeks into the season. You've built something pretty spectacular, and I'm excited to see where it goes. And, of course, it did say Florida was uh, going to hold Charlotte to only seven points. That was correct, although it didn't anticipate Florida to kick five field goals, which, you know, like I said, outlier potentially in the data there. But the model has been pretty accurate thus far, and that's something we're going to continue to track. Dustin's going to pick a slew of games every week. It's going to predict them. But this was a good week to start because you had so many ranked matchups. So five and two this week. We'll see how it continues to go down the road. But thus far, the model has been pretty spot on this season. So for for uh, fans out there looking to get some insider information, continue to follow along here with the All Kinds of Weather Forecast and uh, get ready for those shows when Dustin unveils his new power rankings. The All Kinds of Weather Forecaster. Forecaster. Well, yeah, of course. Model. No, 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 no. Forecaster just, just, model. Just, just differentiating. Yes, the yeah. All Kinds of Weather Forecast for those because we are growing. We are picking up new listeners, new followers, new audience. So the All Kinds of Weather Forecaster is the official name of Dustin's model. And so far, so good, man. Keep it up and keep crunching those numbers and keep winning folks some money. Because if you're if you're betting money um, with, you know, as Chris said, with Dustin's model as a base, you're, you're, you're winning. So yep. keep it up, man. All right, guys. Well, let's get to uh, stock up, stock down. And then grades. So give me one person thing right now in the program that stock is rising and whose stock is going down. Um, I'll start with you, Dustin. 
Yeah, so I think we're all going to echo the same stock up, but I'm going to have to go with Coach Ham. He has done a phenomenal job at coaching this defense. He's Not only is he doing an excellent job with calling the defensive plays, it seems like he's reading the minds of it, of the uh, the opponent offensive staff, but I like what he's doing with the personnel. I think I think what he's done with the talent that we have already on the field um, is outstanding. I can only imagine what he's going to be able to do in the coming years with even even better talent. I mean, you look at that 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 top three recruiting class we have coming in. We have by far, and it's not even close. We have by far the best linebacker class in the country. It might arguably be the best linebacker class for any one school in the last three or four years, and that includes some of the Georgia linebacker classes that they've had, considering we have three linebackers that are in the in the top five, two of which that are arguably five stars. I mean, you look at the tape, what we have coming is going to be outstanding. So certainly stock up with Coach Ham, and from all indications, he loves being a Gator. I think he's a guy that's that's going to be a Gator for a long time, and and uh, you know maybe he might get a head coaching job somewhere. But while he's a Gator, let's enjoy him. As far as stock down, man, Billy Napier's efforts without an OC is certainly stock down for me. Love the guy. Okay, he's doing an excellent job recruiting. He's doing an excellent job running this program, and I think this program is being built in the right way. I love what, I love the off off the field staff. You look at people like Katie Turner, um, amongst others, who are who are helping on that end. I mean, he's doing phenomenal, but unfortunately, his offense has got to change. Okay, let me just say this super quick. Think about Alabama. Okay, Alabama. What were they known for, especially early on in their dynasty? They were known for great defense and running the ball. Okay, how many of us remember that epic? I believe the score was six was was nine to seven or nine to six versus oh, LSU. Twenty eleven, nine to six. Yep. Yeah, that's the Alabama that we knew, but something changed. And I believe twenty fourteen, Alabama hired Lane Kiffin, an offensive genius. Okay, Lane Kiffin. I mean, look. Look, you want you want to talk about a, a route tree genius? That's the guy. He's a modern Steve Spurrier in my mind. Now I know so that's probably going to ruffle some some people's feathers for me saying that. Definitely not Steve Spurrier. Definitely not. But you know what I mean. You, you yep. within within the very fine context of what I'm talking about. Justin, don't talk the fans into wanting Lane Kiffin to be our head coach. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. I love, I'm Napier all the way. But look, Bama. Nick Saban made a choice. Now, obviously, Nick Saban, defensive guy, uh, so it's a different situation. But Alabama completely changed their offensive identity when that happened. And then you fast forward to 2020, that Alabama offense in 2020 arguably was, was one of the best offenses in college football history alongside that 2019 LSU team and that 2020 uh, Florida team. I think if Florida has a better defense in 2020, I think we talk about that team being. Don't bring up um, that memory. You know that's I'm, the core subject. I'm sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Look, the the sky. We look. I, I'm. We've already talked about it. So this last thing I'm going to say, the last sentence I'm going to say on the matter, but Florida needs to look at getting an offensive coordinator because if we do that, 
then that's the final missing piece in the puzzle, in my mind, for this team being elite and for us really competing for championships. You touched that raw nerve. I, I hate Todd Grantham so much. I really, I'm sorry, man. I really, I, I, I do. I, that's that's the last time we oh, say that guy's man. name on this show. I detest the guy. But look, to, to that point, I think Florida has gone. I did not just say I hate Todd Grantham for no reason or to bring up a sore memory for anyone else. But I think we gener- genuinely went from having one of the worst defensive coordinators in the history of college football to one of the best in the span of two years. I don't know how much you want to blame or credit Patrick Tony. I think that there were some elements of genius to what he did. I think it was still a bit too complex for the players. Players that I talked to still love him. They Some of them still do talk to him and they think very highly of him. But this, this new called creeper defense that Austin Armstrong runs is producing immediate results. So I don't, I don't want to just blatantly rip off what Dustin said, so I'll go with someone else. Um, I'll just say Princely, his stock is up. Remember that little last stadium comment that had the fan base in, in stitches a few weeks ago? Well, he's turned over a new leaf and he's producing for the Florida Gators now. He did not show up in the stat sheet against the Utah Utes. And now he's looking like that number one type of player. We talk about number one jersey wearers being guys who produce. He's looking the part the last couple of weeks. So he gets my stock upgrade. Um, stock down definitely has to be the offensive play calling, the route running. That again, I just keep going back to that that thought process in my mind. These guys are running routes with purposes. They're crisp. They're precise. I can watch them on the film. They put their foot in the ground. They slam the brakes on, and they cut very crisply right into the same area as other teammates of theirs, which to me says that is a design issue. You do not design plays for guys to be running routes into the same general area as one defender can now cover two different offensive players. Bad, 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 bad. Got to be fixed. Offensive coordinator has to be hired after this season. And, And I would again argue he should probably look into giving someone the interim OC role for the rest of this season. If Florida has any dreams of knocking off a Georgia or an LSU or an FSU um, moving forward. So those are my two. Yeah, no, well, I I think that at the very least give some responsibilities in the game planning and then on the headsets, communicate some, some possible concepts, but I'll go really quick on this one. I'll say stock up for me, Trace Mack. Trace Mack, I mean, guy was on the bench riding the pine two weeks ago. Now he is the starter and potentially on his way to becoming the next great kicker at the University of Florida. Stock down, I'm going to go Kamari Wilson. I think a lot of people have become aware of a very bad situation that's starting to come up in the program. I'm not going to get too far into the details and nitty-gritty of it, but suffice it to say, I think his days in the program are numbered. I don't think we're going to be seeing Kamari Wilson maybe even playing in a game uniform ever again. A sad situation, no no doubt. But that goes to show that not all players highly ranked like Kamari Wilson was are going to pan out uh, at any major program. So wish him the best of luck, and hopefully the situation uh, remedies itself one way or another, but certainly stock down in that department. All right, let's close the show with grades, guys. We'll go offense defense, special teams, and overall. I'm going to start off, and then we'll go Dustin, then Neil. So offense, I'm going to go C. The the red zone inefficiency was staggeringly bad. It's one of the worst in the country right now. It needs to improve for Florida to find success this year. 
they did. You know, obviously there were some moments where they had some successful times throwing the football down the field. They did, you know, drive it, you know, the distance multiple times. It's just they didn't punch it in. So that's why they get to see D uh, uh, defense. I'm going to go A minus. I thought they played really good. Would have loved the shutout, but they continue to just be stout against the run and the pass. Would love to see some more turnovers, more getting to the quarterback, but they're just playing sound fundamental football right now. Special teams, I will go B minus. This is an improvement. You deserve a decent grade for hitting five of your um, field goal attempts. Did get a block punt, although, as Neil said, still wasn't where we wanted it to be, but that shows we're starting to get pressure on the punter. The return game, yes, we did have two blocks in the back, but we're show, we're starting to show some life in that department, especially in the punting area. So there were some improvements in in, in special teams, but only 10 guys two or three times this, this game. Once again, the communication is not there. It needs to get better. So that's why they only get the B- for me there. Overall, a coaching grade... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go C plus, just because I think it's you know obviously Coach Ham. The defense is doing great right now. Offense, we talked about it at nauseum today. Why they deserve that? So that's why the split overall grade performance C average. This is a very average performance. Lackadaisical. Needs to get better. We need to see improvement if we're going to be Kentucky next week. All right, Dustin. Let's hear it. Offense, defense, special teams, coaching overall. So with the offense, before getting to my grade, I do want to shout out the model in one respect. The model did expect Florida to score six times. Florida did score six times. But the model expected Florida to score five touchdowns and one field goal. And Florida instead scored five field goals and one touchdown. So obviously Florida fell short in a massive way in terms of converting those big-time drives in the touchdowns and you're not going to be able to win many games with that type of production in the red zone. And for that reason, and I said this with McNeese and I'm going to say it again with Charlotte, you have to look at the opponent when evaluating the team. If Florida had come out against Kentucky and had this exact same box score, everything was identical. All you do is switch the bodies and the jerseys. This is our our output versus Kentucky. But we'd be unhappy with some things, certainly. But you beat Kentucky 22 to 7. We're all elated. But because this isn't Kentucky, because this was Charlotte, the offense has to get a D minus. I cannot give them anything. I cannot give them a C. I can't even give them a D plus. Because the whole point of the offense is to score touchdowns. On top of that, not only did we not score touchdowns, but we we had the, the the offensive line. I know we were missing some guys, but our, our entire backup offensive line should be successful versus a Charlotte team. Now, there is an argument to be said that Charlotte does have some talent on the defensive line. I'll give them that. But still, there's no excuse. You play Charlotte, you gotta play them, you gotta you gotta beat them soundly. On offense, and we did not do that for the most part. That catch was outstanding. I know Neil and I know Neil was talking about failing them. I cannot fail a team when you have a single player make probably one of the one of the greatest catches in in recent history. 
Um, and that goes for NFL and college, based on what Neil was saying with that that Odell Beckham catch that he saw in person. And he also saw this one, and he said this one was better. Defense, I'm going to go real quick. I, I'm going to agree with y'all's talking points. I'm going to give the defense an A. Special teams, I'm going to give them an A-. minus. Would have been an A, but obviously lining up with 10 guys, not a good thing. Five field goals, awesome. Trey Smack, you know, give him a gold star. Give him a cookie. Give him a steak from uh, from the, the the best steakhouse in Gainesville. I don't know what to give him, but I give him a high five. Great job, Trey Smack. You are you are captain of the honor roll in terms of the special teams coaching. Chris, this is where I have to disagree with you. When I'm evaluating the coaching staff on the when I'm evaluating the offense, the defense, the special teams, I'm thinking about their specific coaching staffs. When I'm evaluating the coaching in this, I'm evaluating Billy Napier. And for this game specifically, I'm giving him an F because I miss the scared money don't make money Billy Napier. Okay. I know I was I was saying this to Neil in in uh on in the in in the stands, but I really want to see me I really want to see Billy Napier grow a pair. And I'm serious. I know the analytics said kick the field goal. But you got to have that killer instinct. You got to go for it. Okay? What's I mean, look, if you think that you're at risk at losing up uh, 19 to 7, then I got another thing coming for you. Before we go any further, got to shout out our merch store. We've got new merch that is comfortable, lightweight for those hot summer days. Makes it clear to everyone you come across which team you pull for. From 100% polyester workout tees to soft style cotton tees, sport tech polos, quarter zips, hoodies, beanies, baseball caps, trucker hats, koozies, tumblers, and more in all kinds of weather has just the gear you're looking for this football season. Our in all kinds of weather gear is sold in four colors, orange, blue, black, and white. And it all features that sleek new alligator logo that pays homage to all your favorite moments in Gator history. So don't wait. Get yours today. Go to inallkindsofweather.com slash merch to get yours now. That's inallkindsofweather.com slash merch. So, yeah, my grades are going to be pretty simple. Um, offense didn't do its job. They did score enough points to win the game, but the red zone offense was just awful. So, that has to be factored into the grades. Chris, we did have a listener, uh, Brian Snell, who kind of wanted us to break the the two grades up as a red zone offense versus between the 20s offense. Brian, we hear you. We do want the pod to be, be more interactive, so we're going to shout you out. But that's just going to be part of the overall grade, and the overall grade is going to be a C because it wasn't a failure, but it, it also was not impressive by any means. So C for the offense, defense. You would have liked them to not give up a touchdown on the third and goal when Jalen Jones breaks through and scores right up the middle. You would have liked to have not seen that. They did hit a couple of nice other big plays, but for the most part, the defense did its job. So we'll give them an A minus. Special teams. There's just no excuse to line up with less than 11 players on the field. There's no excuse for it. That's the start, body, and end of the conversation. Inexcusable, unacceptable, can't happen. Now, Trey Smack hits five field goals. That's going to really help the special teams grade, which ordinarily would get an A. When you factor that in with the blocked punt, that would be an A. Lining up with 10 guys just 
I mean, Dustin, Chris, you, you and you guys both and Casey all and the fans all keep coming on me. You're the negative Nelly. You're the negative Nancy, whatever. Well, stop giving me reasons to be. It's enough of this. You're you're not a you're not a 12 year old getting to call the special teams for a day because you won some contest. You're on staff. You're paid to call the special teams as a professional and you're not doing it at the level the University of Florida expects. So because of that, B. Coaching. That's probably something that should factor into the coaching too. Um, we'll give them a C plus. The defense obviously was great. Austin Armstrong stock is rising very quickly. You like the way that the players look like they know what they're doing, which is something that they did not do for the past five seasons, essentially. Well, in 2019, they had a top 10 defense, but I mean, for them, for most of the last four years or so, they did not look like they knew what they were doing. Definitely not the case anymore. Props to Austin Armstrong, coach Ham, negotiate with a hammer. Love that. Everything else about coaching well, everything else about coaching, not including the touchdown play design, was just just not good. Um, not what you wanted to see against Charlotte. Maybe if we come out and beat Kentucky, you can say, well, we were just saving our guys for Kentucky, just making sure no one got hurt. And maybe that line of thinking gets some more credence and there's more, there's more bite behind that argument. But without having that data point in our hands, we can't say that. So coaching is going to get a C. Um, overall, not a failure, but... By no means is that the kind of grade you go, mom, dad, look what I got. Look at the grade I got on this test. No, 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 bad. So we'll just say a C plus for argument's sake. Um, I mean, it's better than the Utah game, but still left a lot to be desired. Well, Neil, I mean, we uh, appreciate you at least giving a little bit of, uh, shall we say, you, you were a little bit nicer maybe than I thought you were going to be to the special teams. I thought you were going to really like oh, just dig into them, but I felt that it was a fair grade. I think all tonight fair grades to go around where we, we we're recognizing how good the defense was, but there's a lot to work on when it comes to the offense, special teams, the coaching and incomplete performance against an inferior opponent. It has to improve if we're going to be able to defeat Kentucky uh, next week. Dustin, you had another point you wanted to make? No, I just I, – I was surprised, Neil. I, I was expecting you to give an F at least once. So well, the fact I, that you did it, you, you – This is the first so, game he hasn't so, failed somebody. somebody. So this is somebody, so somebody must have Somebody must have rubbed your tummy or something like that because you're, you're very positive, Neil. Well, he, took look, I, he took a nap. He took a nap I'm Debbie Down and Dustin. So. You're, True. you're, you're I did. doing good, I, man. You're doing good. I am I am rested now. <laughs> I did I did the drive back from uh, from Florida this morning to Charleston, so uh, that wore me out. Then I took a nap, woke up, you know, watched some film, just you know, drank some Sprite, feeling a little good right now. But no, I mean, look, by no means are C's the 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 metric that we shoot for. Like that has to be improved upon. It's not a failure just because there were some flashes of of shall we say goodness from the offense. There were some or a lot of flashes of goodness from the special teams. Trey Smack with a 54-yard field goal. Great. Play design on the touchdown to Arliss Boardingham, who, by the way, first ever touchdown catch for him. We heard a lot about him in spring ball and summer ball. Well, let's see him do it on the field. Okay, he did that. Big plus there. Uh, Graham Mertz, sufficient as always. Great. You know, Trevor Etienne, always great. Montreal Johnson had some nice runs. Great. Ricky Pearsall, obviously 
Great. Caleb Douglas, some nice routes. Great. So there's there's enough good things here and there that I don't really see a justification to fail them. But if we were going to follow the the request of Brian Snell, our listener, um, the Red Zone offense would have gotten a, one of those hashtag that Fs because that that was awful. That was that was just awful. You expect to be able to push Charlotte around in the trenches and do everything that you want to do to them. And we just didn't do that. But I don't see the justification for failing them, but by no means am I going to go bragging to my uh, my South Carolina friends or my FSU fans or my Georgia friends. Go, hey, look what we did to Charlotte. See, that's what an offense is supposed to look like. No, there's nothing bragworthy about this performance other than maybe the defense and kicker. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk a lot more about what we're going to have to do to beat Kentucky later in this week. We're going to recap the model and update it later as well. Look forward to that to hit from Dustin. But fellas, I think that caps it for a good episode of, of the recap for the Charlotte 49ers. A lot more extensive than I think we had hoped it would be. But we're happy to bring it to all of our fans. So make sure you like the show. Leave a like. Comment down at the bottom. Rate, review our show. Let us know how we're doing so we can reach more of our audience and improve the show for you all. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. And follow us on all our social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for In All Kinds of Weather and it will pop up. But fellas, that about does it tonight. I was your host, Chris Shanes, alongside Neil Shulman and Dustin Smith. Gators are 3-1, and one, ranking the top 25. And we have a big showdown against Kentucky next week. Go Gators. Just think about that. That's the way to end the show. Think about that, where the Gators have a big showdown with the Kentucky Wildcats. 20 years ago, unfathomable to think. Even 10 years ago, unfathomable to think. But this, the Greg McElroy point from the 2018 offseason. Don't worry about Georgia. Don't worry about LSU. Don't worry about FSU. Worry about Kentucky, South Carolina, Vandy, Missouri. Those are the teams that you have to beat in order to take that next step as a program. Chris, we've got our shot. Here we go. We got our shot, and we'll bring it to you later this week. So for all all of us here at the In All Kinds Weather Forecast, have a great rest of your day.